church, our Lord said, Why are you persecuting me? So Christ is still on the cross. Behold, I stand at the door of God. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You're listening to Behold the Man with your host, Joe McClain. Thank heaven for the simple things, room to dance a girl to pray. Between the tunes, a glass of gin and do si do you've fallen in. Take what's a number by the hand and say, this way to the promised land. Don't need your overcoat Cause where you're headed you won't freeze 666 degrees 666 degrees A 99 in chemistry They say a doctor you could be You'll feel some sick You'll make some friends Among them is Mercedes-Benz The life you live it high, a scalpel slips, a patient dies. But you'll win your case and wait to hear the judgment that the judge decrees. Oh, look out, 666 degrees. 666 degrees. 666 degrees. 666 degrees. Hola, buenos dias, que tal? Welcome back to Behold the Man. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's great to be back with you again this week as we look at voting Catholic this week. That's right, it's time once again here in the United States to cast our votes. And we have to be well informed. We have to form our consciences and we have to cast a very responsible vote because there's so much writing on the line these days. Very, very critical issues, life and death, and there's lots of them. But for the Catholic, there's really five non-negotiable issues. Five issues that we cannot negotiate on. There are many, many, many more issues than that that are extremely serious. But we have to look at least at these five non-negotiable ones, understand those, and use those as guides, moral principles by which we can then review candidates. And so we're going to be talking about that in today's show. That intro song was from Kaylee Rain. 666 degrees. That was kind of fun, wasn't it? But uh, also, uh, it, there was. A, if you listen subtly, there's a, a little message going on there, and I suggest maybe you rewind the show when you download the podcast and have a listen, or Google them. You can find more information on them at my website, www.catholichack.com. Just look for the show notes on Voting Catholic. As always, let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. All praise and glory and honor be to you, Almighty God. We come before you again. We seek your voice, Lord, your voice in our life. We wish to walk with you in this life. We pray that you will you will guide us to send forth your Holy Spirit to lead us on this path that's so complex. There are so many grays, so many complexities in life that we need the voice of your church that you have provided to us. And so we pray 
that you will give the grace to the church to guide the lay faithful in making such critical decisions, participating in the society with their faith. We pray especially for life, born and unborn. We pray for a well-informed conscience. We pray that we will learn the truths of our faith and then learn the grace to use that faith for the common good. We pray for God's guidance and protection in the upcoming elections in the United States, and we ask Our Lady to intercede for all of us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to be taking a lot of what I'll talk about today from the Catholic Answers Voter's Guide for Serious Catholics. You can actually find that on their website at catholic.com, and I will again post a link to that at my website at catholichack.com. You know, just recently, I was uh, praying down at the abortion mill here in Houston, Texas. It's actually the largest abortion facility in the Western Hemisphere. Some say possibly in the entire world. It's absolutely monstrous. And what they have in in mind there at that Planned Parenthood clinic is to conduct abortions on a scale never seen before in the United States, especially never seen before within the Houston area. It's quite tragic what's, what's intended for that location. So I was down there praying for the 40 Days for Life a vigil, and it was quite uh, it was quite moving experience. There weren't there was not that many people there, and there was not even that many people coming and going at that time of the day. It was late in the afternoon during the week. But I'm sitting there and I'm praying the rosary, and a gentleman pulls up in a car, a little silver car, two door, and uh, he gets out, and I'm watching him. You know, I'm just sort of watching him, and he's in front of the clinic. He gets out of his car and he stands there on his phone. He's talking to somebody. I have no idea who, and he's laughing and he's, you know, joking and seems like he's enjoying the conversation quite a bit, smoking a cigarette and just sort of hanging out casually. And then all of a sudden, the doors open to the clinic and a girl comes out in a wheelchair. She's had to be wheeled out. And he runs and he grabs his car and he pulls it around and he helps her into the car and and then they're pulling out. And as they're coming out of the driveway, we we try to go up and hand uh, them a brochure, you know, offer prayers offer some resources for pro post-abortion trauma that that she is going to now endure as a result to having uh, had aborted her baby. You know, she needs prayers. She needs some counseling. She needs resources. We don't just pray for the baby. We also pray for the mother. And we tried to reach out a helping hand, but she didn't want any, any part of it. She was obviously distraught over the situation. But what hit me was not that. What hit me was his actions. When we tried to offer this helping hand, this hand of peace, really, he gestured to us to, he gave us that, uh, that middle finger. You know, he flipped us the bird, if you will. He told us to, to pack it and take off, to get out of his face, to get out of his way. And he sped off. And I just sat there and I reflected on that moment. You know, there was this this emotion welling up inside of me that I just wanted to shake him and say, do you understand what you're doing? Do you have any idea what what's going on here? But then it hit me. I was looking at myself. 
You see, back in the 90s, I took a girl to an abortion clinic in Honolulu, Hawaii. I wasn't even sure if the child growing within her womb was mine. I wasn't sure, but I wasn't going to take any chances either. No way. As soon as she called to tell me that she was thinking about getting an abortion, I said, no problem. I'll even help you pay for it. I'll drive you down there, get in the car, let's go. You see, abortion was the the great get-out-of-jail-free card for me. And I can tell you, uh, even though I have no idea who this man was that I encountered at the clinic last week, I don't know him, I have no idea what his his uh, affiliation was with the, the, the woman who had the abortion. No idea whatsoever. There is no possibility of me being able to discern his intent or his involvement whatsoever. I can't judge him, but I can reflect on the situation in light of my own experience. And I can tell you that I use that as the get-out-of-jail-free card. That was my opportunity to maintain my freedom, to be completely selfish And you know what I did? And I've shared this before on the show, but I took that girl to that clinic. I walked her in there, sat her down, made sure she checked in. And when they called her, when it was her turn, I watched her get up and go around that corner. And as soon as I saw her leave and go around that corner, I got up and I left. I walked out of that clinic. I walked across the street to the Honolulu Mall and I began hitting on girls in the food court. I was trying to get the digits to one girl while another girl laid all by herself on her back while the child within her womb was slaughtered. Now she laid there because she felt she had no choice because there was no man in her life who could stand up and be a man and give her choice, the choice to choose life. That's the reality of the situation. And I see that as a major issue in our society. And it hit me like a ton of bricks just last week. It reminded me of that situation. Although I praise God that I've come a long way, I've, I've encountered conversion, I know the man I am today, and I know the man I desire to be in the future, a saint. But I also realize that I have to take a stand. I have to take what God has given me, the graces he's given me, and do something with them. That's why he's allowed me to en- encounter this, to, to grow spiritually, that I might then utilize those gifts, those attitudes for his glory, for his purposes, the building up of his church. You know, Pope Paul VI in Humani Vitae, he hit the nail on the head. He said, quote, Another effect that gives cause for alarm is that a man who grows accustomed to the use of contraceptive methods may forget the reverence due to a woman and, disregarding her physical and emotional equilibrium, reduce her to a being mere to a being of a mere instrument for the satisfaction of his own desires, no longer considering her as a partner whom he should surround with care and affection, unquote. That's paragraph 17 of Humani Vitae. And it's prophetic. That was written in the 60s when the sexual revolution was just taking off and contraception was starting to uh, come around in a big way. And the effects have been overwhelming. We have reduced the value of women to a commodity level that we just consume them, that they serve only the mere purpose of our satisfaction. That if I can't ensure my personal freedom, that if I can't use the woman through contraception to ensure that I'm still personally not responsible in any way to be involved in her life, other than just receiving gratification from her, 
then I shall use abortion to do it. And what most people don't understand is contraceptives are abortifacients in, in many ways. The pill, that's part of what it does. If it can't prevent contraception, it ensures that the woman will not be pregnant through abortion because the, 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 the fertilized egg can't find a safe place to call home. The womb is made so hostile to it that it becomes aborted. It, it's abort, the body aborts it. So contraceptions, many of them, are actually abortifacients. It's a tragic reality, a harsh reality of our environment. And it reminded me of the necessity to take a stand in society, as a Catholic first and foremost, but as a responsible citizen. Because abortion is murdering 4,000-plus babies every single day in the United States alone. And those are the only ones we know about. We don't even know about many, many more because they're just not being reported. And not every state requires the reporting of, of the number. So it's really kind of a, a scary situation. But again, contraception, this mentality of contraception, is leading to all of these other problems in society of, of placing Self in the midst of creation and saying, I am what's important, my personal happiness. I mean, God wants me to be happy, right? No, God wants you to be holy. You can be happy with him forever and eternity. God desires for you to be with him forever in heaven. That requires sacrifice on your part to love yourself, to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Jesus said. He said to love your neighbor as yourself, to love God first and to love your neighbor as yourself. He didn't say to love yourself better than God or more than your neighbor, but to love others more than you. Contraceptive, contraception is leading to this me generation. It's building up this me society. Dr. Charles E. Rice gave a keynote address at Holy, Co uh, Holy Cross College in Notre Dame, Indiana, just recently, October the 22nd. He said some very profound things, and I'll link to it on my website. But here's a small quote from it. He said, quote, The stakes are high. Man today has made of himself a god, asserting control over whether and when life shall begin and when it shall end. We are even tampering with genetics to make designer human beings according to our own specifications. In 2002, Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, now Benedict XVI, addressed this problem in the context of Genesis 3 and the posting of angels east of Eden with flaming swords to keep man, after the fall, from eating of the tree of life. After the fall, man was forbidden to eat of the tree which gave immortality, since to be immortal in this fallen, fallen condition would be perdition. People are now Ratzinger said, starting to pick from the tree of life and make themselves lords of life and death to resemble life. Precisely what man was supposed to be protected from is now happening. He is crossing the final boundary. Man makes other men his own artifacts. Unquote. That's uh, Dr. Rice quoting from uh, Pope Benedict XVI. It's very profound. But it's true. Man is placing and has placed for millennia himself at the center. But as technology grows, man tends to use this technology to further himself, to seek self over God, over the good of society. 
The girl I brought to kill her baby, again, she felt like she had no choice. She, she was lying there because I was a boy and not a man. If I had stood up, if I had taken a stand, if I said I will be responsible, even if I didn't know that for 100% certain that that was my child, I could have saved the life of that child if I merely had said yes to God and to her. But that child is dead today because of me, because of my actions. How many more men in our society are in the same situation? Now, thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying on the cross, for giving us the ability to reconcile ourselves, to give over even the wretched sins of a man like me over to him in the confessional that I might hear the sweet words of our Lord say, I absolve you of your sins. That grace is available to all. But most do not make use of it. Now, this encounter I had last week at this clinic with this stranger, again, I don't know nothing about him. But again, it reminded me of myself, who I was, who I am now, and who I desire to be. Just yesterday, my son and I participated in a pro-life rally here in Houston. And uh, it was interesting because at the end of the rally, the march began the prayerful, the silent, vigil march over to the abortion mill that they might pray out in front. Now, if you've never been to a pro-life rally, and I've been to a few now, I can tell you they are peaceful, peaceful events. The people who go to these, they're not, they're not judging anyone. They're there to be peace to these women. They're there to pray for these babies, to stand in the gap, to be an intercessor for these children and for these mothers, to offer help and resources. I mean, just last week, there was a young girl who needed to get an ultrasound because she was bleeding and she wasn't, she didn't know what was going on. She went to Planned Parenthood who says they're there to help young mothers. And this young mother goes in there and what do they tell her? We're not going to give you an ultrasound unless you have an abortion. So she leaves crying, not knowing where to turn. Now, prayerfully, and thank, thank God, thankfully, that the, the, those who are praying for 40 Days for Life were there. And we're able to direct her to resources that could give her an ultrasound and tell her how her baby is doing. But that's the nature of what we're dealing with. But this, as this march got started yesterday, this huge line of thousands of prayer warriors, they're marching towards this clinic with a, an armed police guard there to escort them. There was a group, a handful, maybe 10 or less of people with bullhorns and signs out there to protest this prayerful march, calling us terrorists, yelling and screaming at us. I mean, the silence of the march was broken by the screaming and yelling of these people. They were yelling at us, calling us terrorists. 50 million babies, the ones at least we know of, had been murdered since Roe v. Wade. And we're being yelled and called terrorists. The irony of it just shocked me. I mean, really. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Watching that scene, it made me want to be a part of the solution, to take a stand, to be counted, to be a voice in society, to inform my conscience that I might then act my conscience, to not be afraid anymore. Now, I'm not judging anyone. 
because I stood on that side of the equation before too. I can relate. And we pray for them. We pray for them as much as we pray for anyone. But heavens, please, send forth your prayer warriors. Send forth your people that we might make a difference within our own society. There are many issues today. There are many things at stake today. Many very large and huge and and just anxiety-filled issues that are worrying people, destroying lives today. So if this is a major issue, if there's just so many things wrong, how do we begin to crack this nut? How do we approach the problem? How do we know where to get involved and where not to get involved? How much should we get involved? How do we make a difference? Again, much of what I'm going to be talking about here in the next several minutes to end the show is going to be from the Catholic Voter's Guide. The Catholic Answers Voter's Guide is called The Voter's Guide for Serious Catholics, and you can find that at catholic.com or on a link at my website at catholichack.com. Paragraph 2239 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church says, It is the duty of citizens to contribute along with the civil authorities to the good of society in a spirit of truth, justice, solidarity, and freedom. The love and service of one's country follow, follow from the duty of gratitude and belong to the order of charity. Submission to legitimate authorities and service of the common good require citizens to fulfill their roles in the life of the political community. Again, in the USA, it's voting time. Catholics must cast a well-informed vote according to their conscience, and their conscience must be formed. And I can tell you that it's very clear that the vast majority of Catholics do not have a well-informed conscience. We cannot allow our ignorance to be the excuse we use to just get by, just because it's, it's easy, because it's convenient, because it's what we've always done. We have to roll up our sleeves. We have to dive deep and look at these issues in a very serious way. Even if it means we feel uncomfortable, even if it means we go against the opinions of those closest to us, those near and dear to us, our friends, our family, we have to do the right thing because in the end, it's heaven or hell. In the end, we either stand, we will all stand in judgment, but we either stand with God or we don't. And we can't always just depend upon our ignorance to get us by. I speak from personal experience and I'm speaking of myself first and foremost. Again, there are five non-negotiable issues that I want to talk about briefly. That doesn't mean that there aren't any other major issues. There are major issues to be considered. I mean, just to give you two, immigration and the economy, massive issues at play in the United States right now. But neither one of these two issues are non-negotiable issues, meaning that Catholics can have an opinion that varies one way or another on those two issues. I'm not trying to diminish the seriousness of those issues by talking about the five non-negotiables, just so you understand. They're very serious, but there are five issues that we cannot give any ground on, not even an inch. They're that serious. We'll go over those. To understand this approach, I want to give you the metaphor, the analogy of a combat medic. In the Marine Corps, you have a corpsman. He's a Navy person, person, okay, assigned to Marine Corps units or platoons. When they go into combat, it's this Navy corpsman, an enlisted man, not a doctor, whose job it is to save the lives of the, the Marines who get shot at and who are attacked by enemy forces. 
When a corpsman addresses a, a situation in combat, when he has multiple Marines who are wounded, he has to do a triage. He has to address the most serious injury first, the ones that are most life-threatening, the ones that will absolutely kill the individual if he does not uh, give treatment first. So, you have a situation where a Marine is shot in the chest and he has a, a sucking chest wound, as we used to call. He's going to die if nothing happens to him quickly. Versus another Marine who was maybe had a, a an explosion go off next to him and he was thrown and maybe hit his head and got a concussion or broke his wrist or something. He's in pain. Don't be, don't be fooled. He's in real pain. But he's not going to die. So, if you're the corpsman, you're going to address the sucking chest wound before you address the broken wrist or the concussion. You see the disparity? It's serious to have a concussion. It hurts to have a broken wrist. I've had one, I know. But it's worse to have a sucking chest wound. So that's the analogy. There are, there are wounds to our moral uh, life here in society that are far more serious than others. So the non-negotiables are abortion, euthanasia, embryonic stem cell research, human cloning, and homosexual marriage. Now, really quick, abortion. Again, over 4,000 abortions are conducted in this country every single day. And again, only the ones that we know of for sure. There are more than that. We just don't know about them because the reporting is faulty. And according to the, the statistics that I've seen, and I haven't looked at them in a while, but the last time I looked, 98%, 98% of all abortions performed are done so out of for elective reasonings, meaning... The mother simply didn't want the child. It wasn't because of rape. It wasn't because of incest. It wasn't because the mother's life was in danger. It was simply because that baby was an inconvenience to the situation. And I guarantee uh, many of those are probably as a result to what I did, meaning there was no man to be there to stand up and say, I will take care of this child. I will help. I will make it right. I will be there. If there's no man to be there, that poor girl gets scared and she feels like she has no choice. I mean, in a lot of cases, it's the parents of a young girl who forced the girl to have an abortion. So it's sticky. It's complex. I understand. But 98% of those abortions are conducted for elective, reason, elective reasons. Just That's very important, I think. How about euthanasia? Euthanasia is often called the mercy killing. You know, and often they're, they're thinking they're going to relieve the suffering of people. As if suffering has no value. But in a me society, in a world where my happiness means everything and suffering means nothing, you know, that of course seems to make sense. But the reality is we look at suffering not in the light of the society. We look at suffering in the light of the cross. Colossians 1.24 I fill up that which is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Our suffering must be understood in the light of the cross. So euthanasia or killing people who we think are suffering and they shouldn't be is not good. It's a moral evil. Embryonic stem cell research, the harvesting of human embryos, aborting, killing them, and using them for scientific experimentation. Okay? No medical or scientific advancements have come from the use of this barbaric practice. Embryonic stem cells kill human persons. We were all embryos at one point, okay? So every human being starts out at the embryo stage, and life begins at conception. And so we have to kill human persons in the name of science. It's not good. Not good at all.
This is moral evil, and it's not good. Most advancements that we find today are coming from uh, adult stem cell research, which is working and has no moral uh, downsides to it. So we need to not vote for people who are in favor of embryonic stem cell research. Human cloning. To once again quote from Dr. Rice's keynote address at Holy Cross, he says, quote, Man no longer originates in the mystery of love by conception and birth, but is produced industrially like any other product. Be certain of this. God will take action to counter an ultimate crime, an ultimate act of self-destruction on the part of man. He will take action against the attempt to redeem or demean, rather, mankind by the production of slave beings. There are indeed final boundaries we cannot cross. And again, the full article will be available on my website. Homosexual marriage. Again, this is a perversion of what God intended from the creation between one man and one woman. Satan's first attack was against man and woman. There in Genesis 2.25 to Genesis 3.7, encountering them at their most sensitive moment, the one flesh union. And homosexuality is a perversion of that truth. And so the marriage is the bedrock of society and we cannot allow politicians to vote in favor of such an atrocity or a perversion. Vote your conscience. Don't vote for party lines. Vote your conscience. For more tips on voting Catholic, be sure to stop by catholichack.com and check out the show notes to this episode. Voting Catholic, Behold the Man, number 58. I'll see you next time. May God richly bless you. From the Catholic Underground. Based on digital.